Welcome to the Let the Stray Show, your one-stop destination for intriguing conversations with extraordinary individuals who are boldly navigating life outside the conventional norms. Our host, Scott Fullerton, is thrilled to embark on this journey of discovery with all of you. The Left a Straight Show, we believe that every person's story is unique, and it's our mission to showcase the diversity of human experiences. We bring you the untold stories of fascinating people who identify as LGBT plus and allies, pushing boundaries, breaking stereotypes, and making a positive impact in our communities. On this show, we bring you a diverse lineup of inspiring guests, from activists to artists, and entrepreneurs to entertainers, and everything in between. We dive deep into their personal journeys, discovering the pivotal moment that has shaped their lives and careers. You can expect thought-provoking discussions on a wide range of topics, from LGBTQ rights, social justice to arts, culture, mental health, and more. Our guests are change makers who share their insights, challenges, and triumphs, igniting conversation that promotes empathy, understanding, and love. So whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or an ally looking to expand your knowledge and show your support, the Left to Straight show is for you. Together, we can build bridges of understanding and acceptance, celebrating the beauty of what makes us all unique. So sit back, grab a drink, and get ready for the show. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Left of Straight Show Interviews. I'm your host, as always, Scott Fullerton, and it's another great day for interviewing celebrities and personalities from entertainment, foodies, books, music, and advocacy, all for our LGBTQ community and terrific straight allies. Today, I have a special guest in the studio with me. Robbie Couch is here. He's a remarkable author who's carved a unique niche in the world of young adult LGBTQ literature. Robbie's a New York Times best-selling author, known for his insightful and poignant storytelling, and his works include The Sky Blues, Lane for the Win, and his latest release, If I See You Again Tomorrow. I can't wait to get into all of this with him and so much more, but first, take a look. What's up? I am author Robbie Couch. I write young adult books. I am very gay, and I'm on TikTok. One month to go before I go on my very first book tour. I would say I am definitely mostly excited. I would say I'm probably like 80% excited, 20% nervous. I feel like the 80% excitement is very real. I'm a pandemic debut author. So my, my first book and my second book were in the middle of the throes of the pandemic. So all my events were virtual and I didn't really get to meet a ton of readers in real life and that's changing for this for this book and I'm also going on tour with my friend Adam Silvera um, who is an amazing best-selling author and it's gonna be so fun to be with him and yeah that's the 80% that I'm really excited for but the 20% that I'm nervous about um, well for starters, I lean towards being an introvert. So I feel like it's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be like the Lady Gaga quote, like club, club, another club, another club. It's five cities in a week, which for people who go on tour a lot, I'm sure that's like not a big deal. But for me, I know I'm gonna be like socially exhausted by the end of it. So I'm kind of nervous about that. But the thing I'm most nervous about is honest to God, my pit sweat. If you had to be stuck in a repeating Groundhog's Day with one celebrity, 
who would it be and why? My answer, and I hate to be uh, too predictable or too, a um, little too on the nose, but Pedro Pascal, come on. Here's why. Okay, so let's get the most obvious one just out of the way. He's a hottie. He's a hot dad. Like, if you're going to be stuck in a time loop, like a time loop repeating day, Groundhog's Day situation, it doesn't hurt that you have someone attractive with you, right? More importantly than his good looks, um, I would say he's a doer. He's like a get shit done kind of bro, right? And if you're stuck in a time loop and you're trying to figure out why you're stuck in it and how to get to tomorrow, you want someone who's going to be like, all right, let's figure this out, right? Like, that makes sense to me. It deals with loneliness, love, um, city adventures. Oh my god. And um, in terms of a piece of right, oh my god. In a time loop, repeating the same exact monotonous Monday over and over and over again until he meets boy. <laughs> Bo. Fuck, mother. Alrighty, guys. We are back. That was a clip of some fun little thing from TikTok of my very special guest today. Robbie Couch is with me. Robbie, how the heck are you, my friend? Hey, how's it going, Scott? I'm doing, I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. So glad to finally have you on the show. Happy holidays to you. What's going on in beautiful downtown LA? Anything fun and exciting? Thank you. Happy holidays to you too. Uh, yeah, lots, lots of fun, exciting stuff. Um, I have some friends in town, so we're, ha we're having a great time just showing them around LA, doing some hiking, doing some brunching, you know, the usual. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, things are great here. I love that. Fantastic. Well, thank you for letting me throw everything together there. It's a lot of fun to do. I mean, you have a very much, to me, kind of a Sam Cushing personality. You got that great <laughs> rasp in your voice. You always seem very fun and everything. But I love how the end of that, we kind of showed your blooper rule. You're you're not afraid to be vulnerable. So a lot of fun stuff. So I'm excited to talk to you all about this. Uh, let's start with two questions I ask every first timer on the show. Um, when did you first kind of come out to yourself? And when did you find your LGBTQ tribe, do you think? Good question. I, so the, when I came out to myself, I, the, the most, uh, the most uh, I guess, visceral memory or, or memory that really stands out to me the most was when I was, um, I was at a hair salon back in Michigan when I was probably, I think I was in fourth grade. I think I was nine or 10. And I was, I can't remember if I was waiting for my dad to finish up because he was getting his haircut or uh, if I, yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure the, the, 
the exactly what happened, but I was in the waiting room of the of the barbershop or the hair salon, and there was a bunch of magazines like laid out in the waiting area. And I remember seeing um, it was either an ESPN magazine or a Sports Illustrated magazine. And there were there was a, a a spread of male underwear models. And I remember I kept going back to it and being like, why do I keep looking at this spread? What's going on here? That was the first like light bulb moment of, oh, I'm different. There's something something something's going on here. Um, I don't I didn't use the term gay to identify with at that point, but it definitely was the first time that I, I was aware of of my otherness in some way or my my difference rather. Um, and then probably in high school is when I started to identify with the term gay, even though I didn't come out until, uh, until my freshman year of college. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's hard to pinpoint an exact moment where I came out to myself, but that, that moment at the hair salon in fourth grade was probably the first time I knew I was different. I was a little queer boy. Um, and then right that in the Kmart (laughs) underwear aisle, right? Looking there. Okay. There you go. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then I probably found my tribe. That's a really good question. I think when I moved to Chicago after, after school, I, I, yeah, born and raised in Michigan, went to Michigan state and then actually moved to New York right after school, after I graduated. But then, um, life brought me back to Chicago in my mid twenties. And I think that's when I really had a really good group of, of gay friends that I found that we really just, uh, had each other's backs and, and really felt like we were, we were there for each other. I had gay friends before then, but I think when I moved to Chicago and, and yeah, my mid twenties was when I really found my groove and found my people and, and that felt really great. So yeah, I think if there's queer people listening who are like, I haven't found my tribe yet, you will just, just, Put yourself out there and uh yeah they'll if if uh if you are who you are you'll attract the right sorts of personalities to you so yeah well said and the thing i like when i was doing all my research everything i went through a lot of your instagram you've kept that same circle of friends for a long time i think that's important to be able to have those relationships and it looks like you really built a strong core and that really helps keep you grounded through everything right oh yeah absolutely yeah i have a number of friends who are from high school and in college and my when I was growing up actually one of my best friends has been my best friend since we were I, we, I remember meeting him on the kindergarten playground so he's been nice. in my life for a while so yeah I think it's really important and, and the older I get I'm you know I'm in my 30s now and the older I get I feel like having those grounding friendships they just mean more and more the older I get so um, right. I'm very fortunate in that way to have have good people in my life for sure Nice. And the second question I ask, uh, you've already kind of touched on it. I always like to know where you grew up and what kind of a kid were you. You talk about being small town, Michigan. I mean, it was really small town, right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It was definitely small town, rural Michigan. Um, I grew up right outside of, of Flint, Michigan. So sort of if you meet people from the and they'll, of course, point to their hand. Um, I grew up <laughs> about an hour and a half north of Detroit. And yeah, it was it was very small town. It was a, a great place to grow up in in so many ways, but also a really tough place to grow up in many ways. It was um, yeah, overwhelmingly white, straight, small town, pretty conservative. Um, yeah, not a lot of people who who weren't white. I didn't really know any out gay people, um, and so that was tough. Um, but I think growing up in in that small town environment and like I kind of mentioned before, um, the, the friendships that I developed there, I'll always like have 
I'll treasure forever. So, so uh, I can't be too hard on my hometown, but Nice. Um, and yeah, what was this? What was the second part of the question? Kind of, uh, what kind of a kid were you? Were you were oh, you right. outgoing? Were you kind of shy? Were you were you writing early on? Talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I think I I was relatively. I wouldn't say I was shy, but I I feel like I was definitely more introverted. I, um, yeah. I think when I, especially in high school, instead of uh, really grappling with my sexuality because I was closeted in high school I really put a lot of energy into being a good student and being involved and you know student council and I, I was that gay in high school so um so yeah I wasn't like the most outgoing person but um but I I had good friends and uh cultivated a good community around me um I started writing though when I was, uh, yeah, also probably in the fourth grade, which maybe those two things are linked. I'm just thinking about it now, but <laughs> um, I remember having an assignment in fourth grade, my first, the first, you know, air quote book I wrote in fourth grade. And uh, I had so much fun writing it and illustrating it. And I got an A on it. And my teacher was very proud and something kind of clicked in my head. And I was like, you know what? I like this. I'm going to keep going. So I started writing a million books after that and didn't finish any of them until I was almost 30. Um, but I always loved storytelling. I always was really drawn to, to books and TV and, and, uh, and film just because it felt like such a great escape and it was so therapeutic for me. So yeah, I've, always, I've really been writing and kind of losing myself in stories for most of my life, for sure. <laughs> That's amazing. And I read you were the editor of your college newspaper. You worked for Ober Magazine for a while. You had some great articles on Upworthy. I read a couple of those that are fantastic. Was the plan to eventually be an author? Did you think you were going to be that kind of a writer, maybe a sports writer, not a sports writer, but entertainment writer, a lifestyle writer? What was your original goals? Yeah, I, yeah, I originally went to school for journalism and kind of pursued that. I worked, as you mentioned, I was involved in my college newspaper. I got an internship at the Oprah magazine. And then after school, I worked for HuffPost and Upworthy. And I went sort of in that direction of like feature human interest storytelling. And that was great in many ways. But I think the the older I got, the more I realized I wanted to write fiction. And it wasn't necessarily the, the, the form of storytelling that I really was passionate about. Um, so I kind of, I had always wanted to write a book. And when I was Coming up on 30, I made the goal of finishing my first book by the time I turned 30. And yeah, I did it. I started writing. I started writing it in 2016, I think. Uh, com started coming up with the idea in 2015. Um, and yeah, and so I, then I got my agent and found a publisher and the rest is history. But yeah. Good for you. That's amazing. Now, most writers are readers. I mean, you develop a friendship with Adam Silvera. Uh, he went on tour with you. Uh, were you always a reader of young adult? What kind of got you to that genre? Or what do you like to read when you were out there reading? Yeah, when, it's funny because I feel like I read a lot more young adult in my 20s than when I was actually growing up. I was I I sort of I was all kind of all over the place growing up. And there and there wasn't a lot of queer YA when I was in middle and high school. Um, I mean, there there was, but they were just much harder to find. And publishers were way more hesitant to publish uh, books that featured queer characters or gay characters. So I didn't really have access to the sorts of books. I didn't really know where to look. And 
you know, I wasn't going to be caught in like the gay LGBT area of the bookstore. Right. So, um, so yeah, I, I read, um, I read, yeah, I, the first book I read that I really felt spoke to me as a, a gay kid, even though I didn't even identify with the word gay and a lot of the gayness in the story was kind of coded was anti-mame, um, which later became, you know, musical and a movie. And I remember reading that in, in middle, I think fifth grade or sixth grade and, um, and just losing myself in the story and, uh, and kind of seeing myself in a way that, like I said, even if I didn't identify with my gayness at that time, I could still see aspects of my personality in the story in a really fulfilling way. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I read, I, yeah, I was, I was kind of all over the place. And then in my twenties, that's when I, when I started coming up with the, the premise of my book, it just felt like YA was kind of the natural genre, the natural fit for the story. So I really didn't set out to be a YA author necessarily. I just kind of fell into that genre just because I was drawn to that, to those stories in that age group. Um, yeah, and as you mentioned, I have a, a lot of friends in the YA space, and it's such a um, supportive and, and like loving uh, place to work. I think across the board, a lot of times off, being an author can be so isolating because it's such a singular <laughs> job, but right. it's really nice to be able to connect with YA authors who are kind of going, going through it with you. So yeah, it's pretty pretty great. And did you have like any writing heroes? Were there like other authors, teachers, mentors as you kind of went along this writing path? Yeah, I mean, definitely there were. Um, I really looked to, as you mentioned, like Adam Silvera, Becky Albertalli. I'm a huge fan of like Julian Winters, Ryan LaSala or, or other YA authors that when I was like coming up and, and wanting to uh, write my own book, I was really looking to them as these trailblazers in many ways, because really in the past decade to 20 years, we've seen so many more YA books come out that feature gay and queer characters, which is wonderful. So I really look to a lot of authors in that space as, as really being, um, yeah, kind of the trailblazers that I look up to. Um, David Levithan, um, God, there, there's too many to, too many to list, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Patrick Dennis, who wrote Anti-Mame, has always been an inspiration. So, um, yeah, there's a few of them. Nice. And so you've started your writing journey, and you decide to move to L.A. right before a pandemic, which is always <laughs> yeah. fun, I can imagine. Talk about that, though. I mean, you're, you've are you been in a couple other places, though. You've been in Chicago. You've been in New York. You've been there. But going to a new town and a pandemic happens, did you have some friends that were there ahead of time? Or how were you able to kind of get acclimated to the city at that time. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough for sure. I moved uh, in March 2020, which was the worst month to move across the country. Um, but yeah, I, I remember, I think it was like Tom Hanks got COVID. I remember like the NCAA tournament got canceled and then I like moved the next day. So I was like, this is great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was tough. I was really lucky that I moved with a, a good friend of mine from Chicago and we, we lived together the first, um, the first two years I was here actually. Um, and so, so I was, I was really lucky in that sense because we had each other and we, we, uh, I didn't, I was able to to ward off some of the the loneliness because of that. If I had moved alone and lived alone, I think it would have been way worse. Right. Um, and I had I had some some acquaintances in LA, and I knew some 
I used to be very active on Twitter before it turned into a complete dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> and so I had a lot of uh, gay mutuals and people I'd followed for a while on Twitter. And I was able to meet them in real life when I moved to LA. And I'm still friends with some of them to this day. So, that, so that's been great. But yeah, it was hard. I don't recommend moving across the country in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, not, 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 not the most ideal I can imagine. <laughs> well, the saying goes definitely to write what you know. Your books are tackling some great relevant themes in the LGBTQ community. What I think I like the best, and I need to tell me if this is more common now, is all of your characters start as openly gay. I mean, before it was always coming out stories and all this other um, internalized homophobia and things like that. You guys are always open and gay from the very beginning. Is that becoming more of a thing now in the young adult writing? Because I think that's exciting that we don't have to, we've, we've gone yeah. past that one step. For sure. Yeah, I think um, it's it's pretty intentional. I and I have I have nothing against coming out stories. I think they're still they're still needed, and they're still some of my favorite stories involve a coming out element or kind of center coming out. I, I loved love Simon um, Simon versus Homo Sapiens agenda. Um, so yeah, I think there there's definitely many stories that are are great in that space. But yeah, it was intentional for me to have characters that to your point you know you you already know they're gay by the time you are on chapter one and i think because gay and queer authors have kind of been pigeonholed into just a few kind of archetypes or sorts of stories historically like there's been so much trauma in the stories that are accepted by mainstream audiences um coming out stories have kind of been like the main thing that mainstream audiences were willing to accept and so i think um gay and queer authors have kind of been confined to that for a long time but with the expansion of of uh queer lit and, and especially in the ya space i think there's room for all different sorts of stories now so i think there's absolutely still room for coming out stories and stories that involve the trauma of being queer but also i love stories that celebrate queer joy and have happy endings and just show all different sorts of uh of stories and experiences because I think the LGBTQ community is just, we're so diverse and there's so many different aspects of who we are and, and, and sub communities within our broader rainbow family. So it's important to kind of highlight all of those different uh, stories and experiences. So, so yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'll ever write a coming out story. We'll see. Maybe someday. Gotcha. Very nice. And then I'm sure it's a little different from book to book, but when you're writing, do your stories come from the character traits or do your character traits come from the story you have in mind? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I think it, it's sort of a, a sort of a blend, but I think I, I like to think about um, the, the story itself, the major themes of the story, and that kind of helps me mold the personality traits of the characters and what will fit the story. And, and sometimes with with books it's been i have the idea of the character first where there's really maybe a strong characteristic that really stands out to me and then i kind of mold the 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 story around it and other times it's the opposite where it and really the book i'm working on now which will be book 5 i'm just starting it um is nostalgia is a really big part like it's a really big theme of, of the book and so I kind of and I knew that from the get-go so I'm working backwards a bit in really polishing up the main character to kind of fit this this broader theme of nostalgia so 
So yeah, kind of, it's a little bit of a dance back and forth. I love that. And talk about starting out. What, what did you feel the opportunities were for an LGBTQ writer? Were there any specific challenges you faced going into that genre? Or was it kind of a, a place where you can find where at least where you need to go easily, even though it might be hard to break into? Yeah, I mean, luckily, I, I entered the genre when there was more of a, a hunger for these sorts of stories. I think if I tried to be a queer white author 20 years ago, it, it would have been much harder to find an agent, find a publisher. Um, and there's absolutely still challenges there. Um, I'm also white. I'm also cisgender. So I'm a person of privilege in the community in many ways. And I think if you talk to other people uh, in the LGBTQ community, they've faced challenges I haven't faced. But I think for me, I was very intentional on, on seeking out agents who I knew were looking for queer stories, who were looking for diverse stories. And so I wasn't just, you know, blanket sending out my manuscript to, to all different sorts of people. I wanted to work with someone who I knew would really appreciate the sorts of stories I wanted to tell. So, um, but you, you never really know if, if uh, or I guess why your story is being rejected from publishers. I mean, sometimes, sometimes they'll tell you what they don't like about it or, or what, what's not working for them. But, you know, I've faced a lot of rejection from, from publishers um, starting out. And yeah, you never really know if maybe they had already reached their gay quota for that season or, <laughs> or what. But um, yeah, there's definitely, definitely challenges. And I think now we're kind of in this phase where we're experiencing some backlash from, um, from certain leaders and political leaders who are um, really using fear mongering to, to, uh, to silence a lot of queer stories. And so um, I think now publishers are even maybe more hesitant. Um, I'm really fortunate that I've worked with a great publisher and, and a great team at Simon & Schuster, but I know that it can, yeah, there's, there's still challenges out there for, for queer storytellers, for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I was going to be my follow-up to that because it is becoming a difficult time now. I mean, luckily, Simon & Schuster has been good. I know they work with Stephen Rawley and all of his great mm -hmm. books and things like yeah. that. So they really are supportive of their LGBTQ writers, which I love. But yeah, we're finding the backlash through drag, through book banning, through things like that. So it is a much more tougher space. But I think that's when we have to even persevere harder, right? I mean, we got we can't uh, let them win, I guess, is the worst way to say that. But it's right. just kind of a sad situation. Yeah, I, I think it, you know, it gives me hope, though, that I, I think about the fact that the reason why we're experiencing this backlash is because we've had progress. You know, we, we, we're only experiencing the backlash because we're becoming more visible, because we're, our, our voices are getting louder and becoming more mainstream. You know, growing up in small town Michigan, I never would have been able to walk into the Barnes and Noble in Flint and see a, a queer YA section of the of the store. And the fact that that can happen today is so, so cool. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, of course, really um, sad and scary to see the sorts of book banning and, you know, the don't say gay sort of laws that are popping up in places like Florida or in Texas. And um, it, it is scary. And so I think we do have to remember that sometimes sometimes the loudest voices who show up at you know the city council meetings and stuff they're just the minority even if they're the loudest so we have to show up too and we have to make sure that we are you know being supportive of 
local libraries and, and local school districts who really want to include diverse stories. Um, so yeah, it is a good reminder that we have, we have a, a, long, a long way to go. Well said, my friend. Now your books are very reminiscent of some iconic pop culture movies and everything. I love that you take the tropes from those movies and really give them a great twist to make them your own. Are you a big consumer of pop culture? Do you love going to the movies? Where do you kind of get some of your ideas from? I mean, these are amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely love pop culture. I have my AMC A-list uh, pass, so I try <laughs> to see lots of movies. Um, yeah, I definitely saw the Nicole Kidman AMC <laughs> intro um, about a hundred million times the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely get inspiration from, from movies and TV and other books, but I think I learned throughout the years, I had a, I had a really good editor at Upworthy who challenged us one day, our, our whole editorial team to just go out into the real world. Don't have your phone, don't have your laptop and just walk around your neighborhood, walk around your city and just look for stories, whether it's a sign in a in a store, whether it's some interesting person you meet on the train, and just try to be observant and um, kind of be a story sponge as you move through the world. And that really was a, a cool experience for me because even though that was more for feature writing, I think it totally is relevant to fiction writing as well, where you just kind of get in the habit of moving through the world and and being observant and trying to see see the world and see people kind of through a story lens. Um, and I always have my my uh, notes app open. I have a Google Doc on my computer where I'm always jotting down notes about interesting premises or, or hooks or characters that I can include in, in future stories. So I try to just kind of always always be on the lookout for for stories everywhere. <laughs> that was great advice you were given. Now let's yeah. start going into some of the books. I mean, The Sky Blues, first one you did, um, very kind of like it had that feel of a love Simon that you talked about earlier to me with the twist uh, of kind of going, trying to use the premise to find out who's doing this and everything, which really wasn't addressed in the first. Um, and I love the characters in there. I love that Kevin McHale, you sent out to him and he did a blurb. He's actually going to be on my show this Friday, him and his boyfriend, oh, Austin. Yeah. So oh, awesome. Talking about that yeah. first book and uh, bringing that to life. Yeah, Kevin is amazing. Yeah, I was I remember when he confirmed he was able to to blurb the book for me. I was so excited because I'm I'm a big fan of Kevin. So, uh yeah, he's awesome. Um yeah, I I started writing the sky blue. I really came up with the idea in 2015, early 2016. Um and you know, I that's the book that's I think the most personal to me just because so much of it is small town Michigan and even though Sky Sky Baker the main character is different than me in many ways and his experiences are different than me um at the same time the world around him is is very similar to the world I grew up in and the characters I really drew inspiration from a lot of people in my own life growing up in small town Michigan um so yeah it 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 was a book that I think will always be have a very special place in my heart just because of of uh yeah it was my first and it it took me the longest to write I wrote it over three years which now feels like such such a luxury now I'm under contract and I gotta move a little bit quicker um but yeah it's it's uh it'll always have a very a, a very big place in my heart. I love that and you talk about that I mean you've been a book a year my friend zoom zoom zoom. 
How, yeah. how do you keep yourself motivated to that? And especially in the California sunshine to not go for a walk <laughs> on the beach and get back to the typewriter there. Yeah. You know what? I, I think the more sunshine and like social time and getting out time I have, the, the more efficient and better I write. I, I remember okay. during COVID, a lot of people were like, uh, isn't that great for you though? Everything's shut down. You just can be inside writing all the time. And I'm like, Honestly, no, because it, it's I had the worst writer's block and I felt so so just confined and, and had no creative inspiration during COVID because I wasn't leaving my apartment. So it was so much harder to write during COVID. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's I, I hustle. <laughs> it's writing a book a year is no um, it's no easy feat. And I'm fortunate enough that I'm I'm doing it full time now. But for a while, I was uh, had a full time job and, and was writing book year on top of it and it was it was pretty intense so okay. i'm really fortunate that i have a little bit more space in my schedule to to actually write and and put creative energy towards it but yeah they keep you busy <laughs> i can imagine well second book blaine for the win kind of reminiscent of a legally bond blonde premise but you're learning more about yourself which uh, the character is i kind of like that um just a lot of you always have kind of like not a preachy undertone, but you're you're still learning something in your books. I kind of really like that and all that. Is that intentionally done or just as the way the story goes? Yeah, I think I, yeah, I of course never want to sound too preachy or have the story come across as preachy, but I always, I would love for readers to kind of take away different lessons or uh, kind of get certain things out of it. Um, and it's interesting though, because I feel like books are, so great in that you know it's like the lady gaga quote there could be a hundred people in the room a hundred people could read the book and take a hundred different messages away from it or, or themes away from it and so even though i might go into a story thinking like okay these are these are the themes or the messages i want readers to take away it's always interesting to me that readers can take a million different things away from the story and different things stand out to them so i think that's that's really great but um yeah, I think I, I never want to be too didactic, but I, I do like when stories have uh, kind of an underlying uh, theme or message that readers can kind of sink their teeth into or learn, learn about uh, a, a different topic or issue in, in a different way. So, yeah. Nice. And if I can see you tomorrow, the latest book, um, you got to finally do a book tour for it. That had to be yeah. a lot of fun. I'm a huge foodie. I have a lot of foodies on here. I'm ready for a brownie right now. Talk <laughs> yeah. about that experience and actually being able to go interact with the fans after the book was done. That had to be a fun experience. Oh, so, so fun. Well, especially because I, because I was a pandemic debut author, I uh, didn't really meet any readers for the first really for Sky Blues and Land for the Win. I mean, here and there at a couple different events, but everything was virtual. So for this book tour, it was really amazing just because people were not only showing up for this book, but then it was, it was so cool to see people standing in line with copies of Sky Blues and Blaine for the Wind too, who, you know, I hadn't really gotten to meet for the past three years. And so that was a very, very awesome experience. I kept pinching myself like, is this real? And, um, and yeah, I got to go with my friend, Adam Silvera, who's of course an amazing author. And, um, and he was so great to go, to be on tour with kind of giving me advice and giving me tips as we went along. Um, so yeah, it, it was an incredible experience and one that I will definitely never forget. I love that. 
And now you have a release date for book number four already coming out May for another first chance. Um, River Lang, the lead character. I love your character names. I don't know where you get them all. <laughs> I, uh, I used to, when I used to be a writer, one of the things that I got from a writing instructor was go stroll through the cemeteries and pull them off the headstones. So Ooh. I got a lot of my ideas through that, which is creepy and fun all at the same time. You have great <laughs> names. Where do you get your names from? I love that. Um, well, I also, I remember one of, uh, oh, it was actually the same editor from Upworthy that that gave me, that gave us the assignment to go into the real world and think of stories that way. She recommended reading obituaries, which is also kind of dark, oh. but there's a lot of great names and also um, just good story storytelling uh, kernels that you can kind of pick up on reading other people's about their lives and their experiences and what they did. So not that I open the paper every morning and, and read the obit, the obit <laughs> section, but I have gone through obituaries before <laughs> to get some inspiration. I will admit to that. Um, yeah, with names, I, I don't really have um, a certain creative process behind it other than whenever, whenever I hear a name that I like or whenever, yeah, something kind of comes into my brain. I, I've just gotten in the habit of jotting it down in my notes app in my Google Doc. Um, yeah, like right now there's there's a I have a story ideas doc that just the first the first whole chunk is just names of just random oh, random that. names that I've collected. And then whenever I have a new story, I kind of think about um, the character and kind of go through the list and see if any of the names fit with the character that I'm trying to create. And so um, yeah, in terms of where they come from though, all over the place. Whoops, all over including the place. including obit sections. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Are you allowed to share so far about another first chance? Are you? That's going to be exciting to be released next year. Um, what can you share on that book? Yeah, I'm so excited about it. Um, it is another. It's a, it's similar to my third book in that it's a, a bit more speculative. So um, I would say it's contemporary romance with some peppering it of sci-fi elements and speculative vibes. <laughs> Um, and it's really a book about grief and, uh, you, you meet the main character on the one year death anniversary, the one year anniversary of his best friend's death. And it's also, um, it's, it's a dual POV. So about a quarter of the chapters or so are written from the perspective of, of the friend that died. So you, you have both perspectives on the day and, um, River, who's the main character, uh, is still going through it. He's still grappling with with the loss of his friend a year later. And so he enters a, a social science experiment for kids who are struggling socially. And um, things turn out to be not exactly what they seem to be within this experiment. So mm -hmm. um, there's a little bit of psychological thriller vibes, but not. it's definitely not horror. Um, and I think people will, hopefully readers will have a lot of fun with the story, but it is, um, it's, it is a story about grief and, and heartbreak. So um, there hopefully will be a few tears as well, but um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. That sounds amazing. And then talk about, you said you're on number five already. What's that like? Is that kind of, what's your process when you go into a book? Are you, do you, kind of do storyboarding first and then you come back and fill in the chapters or how do you what what's your basic writing process? Yeah, yeah, it's I'm just getting book five off the ground. So I'm still um I'm a very big outliner. So hmm. I always like to have the complete book completely mapped out in outline form before I get started on it. So 
Um, so yeah, so I'm still pretty early on in, in structuring the character and in, in the, in the story itself, but um, I'm about halfway there, maybe three-fourths of the way there. I have a call with my editor coming up this week to kind of fine-tune a few things before I really start writing. So um, yeah, I can't say t- I too much about it just because I don't want to say something and then have it change by next week. But sure. um, as I mentioned, it's I, nostalgia is definitely going to be a, a big part of the story. And um, yeah, it's also in that kind of speculative contemporary space in the YA space. So I'm very excited about it. That's awesome. I have two listener questions that called uh, that emailed me here. Um, Chris in Indiana wants, and you kind of hinted on this a second ago, but Chris in Indiana wants to know which of your characters do you most closely identify with? And you can put that anywhere. It doesn't have to be the main character or anything. Where do you feel you put yourself most into a character in one of your books? Yeah, I think... Sky is probably the most that I identify with just because of the world he grew up in and the setting. And, you know, even though a lot of his experiences were different than mine growing up, there's still a lot of, I still see a lot of myself in him. Um, But at the same time, writing Ant Star in Blame for the Wind, who was sort of the the 30-something-year-old aunt who was struggling in, in a few different ways and living with her sister, I definitely identify with Ant Star too. So um, yeah. it's, it's funny writing a YA book from the perspective of a teenager, but also kind of seeing yourself a lot in the adults in the story. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. probably Sky Baker and Ant Star. <laughs> That's amazing. Too funny. <laughs> and then uh, second question I picked, Stan in Arizona asked, if you can bring a character from any of your favorite books into one of your books, who would you want to write about? Ooh, oh my gosh, that's such a good I don't think I've gotten that question. That is such a good question. Oh, if I could bring a character into one of my books. There's so many. I mean, not to bring up anti-mame again, but I think it'd be so fun to have like an anti-mame character, which is probably why I love Ants, Ant Star, right? Maybe that maybe that subconsciously inspired <laughs> Ant Star. Um God, who else would I want to bring into my books? I mean, I also, like I mentioned, Adam Silvera, a lot of his books, um, Aaron and More Happy Than Not was, uh, I loved More Happy Than Not, which uh, was his debut. That'd be really fun to bring in. Um, yeah, I've, I've talked to a couple authors about doing like a collab um, call writing thing, and it would be really fun to do. I think there's a lot, it's a, it's a big undertaking, but that might be something down the road that I, that I can uh, figure out if I can do it, because that would be really fun. <laughs> That would be fun. I'd love that. All right, we got a couple last questions here. Um, do you have any insights or memorable experiences from your interaction with readers, either through email before you went on tour or during your tour? Anything that really stands out was an interaction with one of your fans or readers? Yeah, I, the one that stands out the most, I remember it was the very first um, in-person event that I did post-COVID. It was a a book festival out here um, in Santa Monica, actually, not too far. And um, the very first reader I met had, he came down from San Francisco. He drove down from San Francisco and like took a day off of school or work, I can't remember, and was like the first person in line to get their book signed and was just the sweetest kid. He might've been like 19 or 20, so maybe I shouldn't say kid, but the sweetest reader. Um, and so he was just telling me about how, um, he read the book and then he was listening to the audiobook 
um, in the car with his mom and his mom had been a little bit harder with accepting his sexuality and listening to the audiobook together of the sky blues um really helped to ha like it, it sparked some good conversations between them and and helped her see his perspective a bit more which was like the coolest thing a reader could ever tell me and that was like the first in-person reader that i met and i was like oh my gosh this is wild so i will i'll never forget that interaction that is very cool and has a response to any of your books influenced your approach to a new book? Have you kind of taken anything and put it into a new book from an interaction or just from what you hear in the feedback for your books? Yeah, that's a good question. I it's it's tricky because you don't I don't want to read read too many of the comments or too much too many of the feedback because I think it can kind of it can kind of be a distraction, especially if it's if it's focused on the negative, I think. But at the same time, I think it is important to stay kind of plugged into um, how your stories are resonating with people um, and certain themes or, or topics that um, or like writing styles that people enjoy. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to think of something specific, but I'm, I'm constantly I am trying to kind of, uh, yeah, see what people are saying and seeing how I can work in. Um, different lessons learned in, into future books. And I still feel like I'm, you know, this is my, I'm working my fifth book, but I'm still getting better as a writer and storyteller. I hope I am at least. And so I definitely try to have my, my, uh, yeah, my learning goggles on with everything and, and trying to get better as I go along. Well said. And that brings us to our last question, which I'm sure you asked all the time. But what advice do you have for inspiring writers, especially in the LGBTQ genre? What are the things that you've learned that they might want to uh, save them a step on? Maybe anything that you any advice you can give out? Yeah, I would say, um, well, I would say two things. Number one, you just got to write. You got to do it. The The number of like people that come up to me and say like, I'm writing my first book or I'm thinking about writing my first book. And then we are talking about it. And then I learned that, you know, they started writing it a decade ago and haven't finished it yet, which I get, I know life is, is crazy, but I think setting up your own writing schedule and, and sticking to it as if it's like a part-time job or a full-time job even um, is, is really important. Just getting through that crappy first draft is like the biggest hurdle. Um, and beyond that, especially for queer writers, I think sometimes it's harder to write the books that we want to write because a lot of times they haven't been written before. And you kind of feel like, well, is a publisher going to want a story that involves this sort of element or this sort of experience? Will it hinder my chances of getting an agent or a publisher? And I think you just have to you know, work through that and write the story that you want to write because oftentimes those are the stories that really strike a chord with readers because they haven't experienced that sort of perspective before. So especially if you're from a marginalized group, um, yeah, write the story that really speaks to you and that you know, and it'll find the right readers out there for sure. Great advice. Robbie Couch, thank you so much for coming on the Left of Straight Show. Amazing conversation with you. Hope you have a wonderful holiday. Let all my listeners know your website, where they can find your books and where they can follow you on social media if they want. Thank you so much, Scott. This was fun. Yeah, um, I'm on basically all the socials at Robbie Couch. It shouldn't be too hard to find. And yeah, my website's RobbieCouch.com. And I believe that, that links to all my socials on, on my website too. So 
hopefully I shouldn't be too too hard to find. Fantastic. Well, stay on the line for me. Guys, if you have a chance, get out there and find If I Can See You Tomorrow, his latest book. And, of course, be on the lookout for another first chance coming out at the end of May next year. Uh, we're going to have a special five questions with Robbie next Tuesday, so you want to tune in for that as well. We appreciate you tuning in every week here on the Left of Straight Show. Have a happy holiday season, everyone, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.